set up a ministry a number of years ago. And one of the challenges when you set up a ministry is uh, picking a name for your ministry. So when we picked, uh, you know, I picked spoken word ministries to name our ministry. Well, if you go down to the states, there's like 52 spoken word ministries in the states. So as a result, our Hopkins, our, our ministry affiliate in the states is now named Hopkins Ministries International because it's easier to use a last name than, than pick one of these fancy, you know, names out of the scripture. Um, anyway, this, this uh, guy that I met, uh, he named his ministry Beautiful Feet Ministries. So based on this passage, Beautiful Feet Ministries, beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. What does that mean? It means that we look forward to people that come into our lives that bring good news. Um, when you come to someone in need of help and you bring good news, you bring joy to that person. And especially when you're one of those people that brings good news on a regular basis. People look forward to when you show up because they know that the news you bring is good. So this is one of the commands of Jesus, one of the call, callings of Jesus. In the last days with his disciples, as he was just after his resurrection and he was meeting for the last time with them, his calling to them was go out and proclaim the gospel. And what is the gospel? The gospel is we are beloved by God and we are forgiven. And God's desire is to save us. So very simple gospel. Um, and you know what? I think sometimes maybe a little boring to some of us, you know, it depends on where you're at in your life and you know if life is good and all that kind of stuff and you're not really aware of your need yeah, you know that can get a little boring but for somebody that is in the midst of their need and they're struggling it's it's a good thing it's a it's very good news i remember sharing the gospel with a young man here a little while ago and his response to me as he heard it it's that simple i can't like that's too good to be true no really it is would you like to pray and say yes to Jesus? And as we prayed together, he experienced the joy of God washed through him. So let's go to Hebrews uh, chapter 1. Hebrews is an amazing book. We spent last year studying it in our Bible studies. And so let me just begin with Hebrews. Um, let's see here. Hebrews 1, 1 to 6, right? So he says, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets. So this is where Jesus talks about how all the scriptures point to him. You know, um, Jesus teaching and speaking with the Pharisees, he said, you know, you search the scriptures thinking that in them you have salvation. But yet I say to you, these scriptures point to me and you won't come to me to receive that salvation. So this idea that, the, that this God has spoken through the scriptures and the Old Testament prophets they forecast the promise that was made in Genesis 3. They point to the Savior that is to come, who we experience today as Jesus. In these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son. The revelation of God in Jesus. You know, in, in a lot of ways, you know, when you think about the gospel, you can really only describe the gospel. You know, it's like, uh, you know, who here remembers when your babies were born? You know, a bunch of us had babies. Uh, well, I didn't have a baby, but, you know, Jacqueline had the babies. But I remember being there. And, uh, and you know, the, the descriptions, you know, the proclamation that a baby was born. Yeah, well, you know what? That's cool, but now I want to hold them in my hands. 
You know, a proclamation is one thing. Something that points towards someone is one thing. But I want to be in the presence of that person, that, that little baby. So it is with Jesus, you know. That, that, that in these days, God spoke, God has changed his proclamation. Now, instead of just pointing to us, to Jesus by the scripture, he has now given us the person of his son, the one whom we can have a relationship with. And he appointed him all, the heir of all things. And it says the son is the exact radiance of his glory, the exact representation of his being. And he sustains all things by his powerful word. What's taught in that is that Jesus is the creator. He is the means by which everything was created. And that's exactly what John 1 teaches. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and through Him all things were made. Nothing was made except that was made through Him. Jesus is the person of the Creator who comes to us and shows Himself to us in this little baby. It says, after he provided purification for sins, after he died for our sins, after he had destroyed the power of death and the devil to condemn us, he sat down at the right hand of God the Father in heaven. Of the, I like the way it talks about the majesty in heaven. Or some translations say the great majesty. And that, that description of the Father, you know, it sort of, sort of speaks of how, of why we needed Jesus to come. Because God the Creator, God the Transcendent God, God Almighty, the great majesty in heaven, how do we as we little mortals relate to Him? But we can relate to a person. We can touch, feel, and interact with a person. And so the great majesty in heaven showed Himself to us in Jesus. And it says He became as much superior uh, to the angels um, because he's inherited a superior name. For to which of the angels did God say, You are my son, and I become your father? Or again, I will be his father, and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the angels, he said, Let all God's angels worship him. About the son, verse 8, he says, Your throne, O God, will last forever. So now this is, you know, somebody, uh, very often I've had people come and ask me this question. You mean Jesus is God? Yeah, that's exactly what the scripture teaches. Jesus is God. Here's God the Father speaking about the Son, and God the Father is calling the Son God. Your throne, O God, speaking about Christ, will last forever and ever, and righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved wickedness and hated righteousness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Oh, stop right there. Speaking about guys who named their ministries, I had another friend who named his ministry Oil of Joy Ministries. So, so that Hebrews passage, passage speaks about this little baby that we experience today and about the fact that he is God himself. Not just a, a representative of God, but he is God himself. And the day is coming where he will be on his throne, judging all creation. John 1, 12, uh, 1, uh, 1 to 18, famous passage. We've already made some reference to it. Um, and it speaks about the advent of Christ. We talked a little bit in the message last night about Christ being the light, Christ coming into the darkness. 
and how when the presence of God enters our darkness, uh, things change. He dispels our darkness. You know, and I think, you know, when, I don't know, let's, let's get a little more practical and personal. Who here knows anyone in darkness? Like if you think about darkness, 1 John uh, says that somebody who basically proclaimed, like I, I'm giving you my paraphrase, but when we say we're okay, and yet we hate our brother, it says we walk in darkness and we cannot find our way out of that darkness. Who do you know who walks in darkness and cannot find their way out of that darkness? The calling of Jesus is we bring a word of hope to such people. You know, I'm working on an anger seminar right now, and core to the anger seminar uh, that I'm putting together is the idea of inviting Jesus into the anger. Inviting Jesus into the hatred. It's interesting because I was uh, dealing with somebody, it's, it's always funny when I start writing one of these seminars because I sort of pray that God would confirm that I'm on the right track. Like maybe I'm just writing a new seminar for the sake of making extra work for myself. You know, and if that's the case, well, you can all do without that. But Lord, if you're asking me to write this, if you're leading me to put together this teaching, then I need that confirmation. So I start writing this anger seminar and I start going through my scriptures and I start putting together those passages that refer to anger. There's a bucket load. I mean, if you go through Proverbs, oh my goodness, right? And just about that time, I, I start having angry people show up. So I had, I sort of take that as a confirmation. You start writing about an anger seminar, the angry people start showing up. It's like, okay, you know, when I wrote about the problem of porn a number of years ago, reason I did that was because I had a whole bunch of porn addicts suddenly show up in my office, like like a couple of weeks of pretty active people looking for help. Okay, better write a teaching about that. So anyway, in this anger seminar, as, as we look at it, one of the key truths is this passage out of, out of John 1-5, that Jesus is the light and he shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not understood it. You know, when we think about... Uh, Jesus. And when we think about the proclamation of the gospel, we're not being asked to argue people into the kingdom. We're not being asked to prove that Jesus is who Jesus is. We simply declare a message. We share a message. And that message to, won't make sense to many people. Paul says that in 1 Corinthians. But we declare that message. And it's interesting because the scripture promises when we declare that message, the Holy Spirit will be with us. The Holy Spirit will convict hearts. He will open hearts. And for the person that is ready to receive, then all we get to do is, all we need to do is, well, could we invite Jesus into your darkness? Pray with me. And we get to invite Jesus into the darkness. And you know, um, the part of me that wants to fix people, um, Understanding this really lifted a lot of the load off. As a young pastor, I figured I had to uh, prove to everybody who Jesus was. Now I realize that Jesus can do that himself. That's actually the message of John 16. The Holy Spirit will convict. He will prove who Christ is. He will prepare the heart. John 6, 44, no one comes to him except the Father draws him. This is God's work to prove who he is. 
We're just the people on the hill bringing the good news. I don't know how to fix you, but you're in a place of darkness. I know somebody who could enter that darkness and wants to help. Now, how he helps is up to him. You know, and that's the thing that always amazes me. There's times when, uh, and I've done, I, I, I've been in this situation with a couple of you here in this place, uh, sitting at a table, um, being in a, in a coffee shop, hearing about a place of darkness. Pray with me. Will you pray? Could we invite Jesus into this? You never know what Jesus is going to do. But when you invite him in, he does what is on his heart to do. And he proves himself to be God because he, do, he does something that we ourselves can't do. You know, a couple of, a few weeks ago, I was talking about resisting the devil. <laughs> and I made this one comment in the sermon. And I said, uh, I said, okay, a lot of lay people don't do this. Will you humble yourself before God, which means, Lord Jesus, I put myself on your strength, not my own. And then James 4, 6, and 7 says, the second part of that is you resist the devil and he flees. So you command the devil to flee. I said, in that sermon, I said, you know, having explained that, I said, most lay people don't do this. They, they wait for the pastor and go to the pastor. You don't need a specialist pastor to do this. If you believe in Christ, you carry the authority and the person of Jesus in you. The devil will look at you and see Christ in you, and he is terrified, the scripture says. And you can tell the devil to hit the road. So anyway, this one guy in the service heard that part of the message, one guy. And he goes home that week, and he said, my family was under attack, and so finally I stood up, and I said, devil, I put the blood of Jesus between me and you, and I command you in the name of Jesus to get out of here. And he said, everything changed that day. There was an abrupt movement in the, Holy, in the Spirit. The power of God. This is what this passion, passage speaks about. That there is a power. You know, let's go down here to verse 12. Famous, famous verse. It says, to all who received him, to those who believe in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Some translations also say the power to be a child of God. That when the Holy Spirit, through Christ, enters into your life, he brings the power. The scripture says that the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us and will also give life to our mortal bodies. Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4 makes reference over and over again to the fact that, God, that the, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of power. And so there's a power that comes into us. And that's why when we invite Christ into the darkness, that's why even when we offer to invite Christ into the darkness, things happen that we didn't plan on, that we couldn't make happen on our own. I remember being in uh, a conflict area in Congo a number of years ago, and I was teaching on forgiveness. And as I taught on forgiveness, you know, the, 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 the Congolese, well, I've seen this in several African nations. They don't like just to listen to the preacher. Middle of the afternoon, they want an hour of Q&A. And so they ask anything they can ask, right? And some of it's pretty crazy. And some of it's pretty wild. Some of it shows that they don't have much teaching. Um, I remember I had one guy one time ask, how do, you, how do you forgive the sin of death? And I'm going, anyone ever been asked that question? How do you forgive the sin of death? 
I, I, I said, okay, well, you know, biblically, death is not a sin. It's a consequence of sin. So you don't forgive the sin of death. It's all the other sins that you need to, that, that we go to Jesus for forgiveness. After death, we stand before him and we receive eternal life. Oh, and the whole place looks at each other and goes, oh, okay. You know, I thought, oh, my goodness, wow. Anyway, this lady, she stepped forward at the end of this forgiveness teaching. And speaking about the power of God, she said, I'm just about ready to retire. You know, enter into my old age. Where my children take care of me and my husband and I, we do less work and the children take over the farm. And she said, my neighbors came, um, we had a conflict with my neighbors and they beat my husband and two sons to death out in the fields. And so here I am, I'm an old woman. And now I have to work the farm on my own and take care of myself. And she says, I'm filled with anger and hatred. And what do I do? And I said to her, again, remember, this proclamation about inviting Jesus into this darkness. I said, I don't know how to fix your situation. I don't know how to heal you. But I know someone who we can invite in. His name is Jesus. Would you pray with me? Well, in the Congo, when the pastor asks you to do something, you do it. <laughs> so I'm not used to that here, because when the pastor asks people to do stuff here, it's not always done, right? We've got a different culture. But over there, they really respect it, so they do it. So anyway, she says, I will pray. And I led her through a prayer, and the prayer was, I, first thing I asked her, I said, are you willing to put these people in the hands of God and your hatred? She says, I am. That's so crucial. For an angry person, if you're not willing to give it up, if you're not willing to change, you'll never be helped. So she prayed with me, and we prayed together this prayer, Dear Jesus, forgive me for my hatred for these people. I don't understand what they did or why they did it. But I give them to you. And if you can help me forgive, I'm willing. I forgive. And she began to weep as we prayed. Dear Jesus, where this hatred lives in me, I invite you there. Do your will, your kingdom come here. And she wept. And we finished the prayer in that place of surrender to Jesus, giving him that burden she carried, inviting him into that darkness. And as we stopped, she stood to her feet and she started to turn around. I said, just one minute, sister, I want to know what has happened to you. She turned around and she looked at me and she said, I'm, it is okay. She said, I'm free. So I addressed the gathering because there were many of the area pastors in that gathering that day. And I said, I encourage you brothers, this mama, that's a word for elderly, uh, respected woman. So if you ever go to Africa and they call you a mama, they're, 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 they're saying we respect you, you ma'am, right? This mama, she is your sister and she needs you. Now the church needs to gather around her care of her. You know, if you want to serve God, this takes me in another direction, but if you want to serve God, take care of the widows and the orphans. This is what Jesus called true religion, right? So anyway, this, this coming into the world, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. 
when he speaks about being born of God, he actually speaks about being born again. We go forward into John chapter 3. No one, no one can enter heaven unless he is born again, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus. What does it mean? It means into that place of spiritual deadness. God brings the life of Christ. And he fills us with a life that we can't generate on our own. And it says he transforms us from a dead person to, an, to a live person. An alive person gets to experience the things that life brings. A dead person can't experience such things. This is what Jesus brings. This is what today is about. Life has broken into history today. And it's God's will. We didn't make that choice. We didn't seek God first. God in his love for us, it says it's not, it's not a human decision that caused this. It was God who so loved the world, who took the initiative to come to us. And so John testifies concerning him, and he cries out, saying, This is he of whom I said, he who comes after me has surpassed me, because he was before me. You know, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest person in the church. Then he went on to say this sort of paradoxical statement, but he who, you know, what is it? The least of these are, yeah. There you go. Here's me and my pulling quotations on here. Anyway, uh, this idea of humility, John's, John's reason for living was to describe the Savior. John spoke uh, at the riverside, and he said, Behold the Lamb of the world. John said, Now I must become less, and he must become more. The description of Christ, that was John's ministry. And then it says, from the fullness of his grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. The law was given through Moses, through Moses we got the rules. We got the teaching about what was righteous and what was unrighteous. But nobody understood Moses. That was what Jesus said. They didn't understand Moses. They turned it into a rule system by which to earn the favor of God. So finally God said they don't understand. And he poured himself into the person of his son Jesus. And he came and he showed himself to the world. And he came to save us. He came to bring us to heaven. He came to fill us with his life. He says, no one has ever seen God, but God the one and only. That means no one has ever seen the Father. No one has ever been in the Father's presence except God the one and only. Jesus has been in the presence. And Jesus, over and over through the book of John, he says, I do nothing of my own initiative. I only, I only do what I see my Father do. I say nothing of my own initiative. I only say what I've heard my Father say. Jesus literally brings heaven to earth. And so it goes on to say, he who is at the Father's side has made him known. So, you know, as we look at Jesus today and as we share a little bit about Jesus today, I encourage you, take that time to meditate a little bit on Jesus. 
because he is God come to be with us when you get into that place of darkness or that place where you cannot fix make a change don't spend your time trying to fix invite Jesus into the darkness see what his light will do let's pray God Almighty we come before you I thank you for my brothers and sisters in this place we thank you Lord God for those people around this county who are celebrating your birth and Father uh, I thank you that even you don't hear we don't have many people here Lord but you know what no condemnation for that I thank you Lord for that teaching that you did not come to condemn the world but to save the world and that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ father I pray that you will protect us from the message of condemnation and that you will fill us with the grace of God that is in Jesus to share that good news to describe him that our feet would be beautiful in the way that Isaiah speaks of. Because we bring the good news. Father, for those of us who face situations we can't fix, give us the words to describe Jesus. Give us the courage to ask if we could just invite Jesus into it, whatever it is. And that we can see you at work. Because it doesn't depend on us, it depends on you. Father, we love you, and we thank you. Lord, as we come to give our offering today, the first offering we give to you is our hearts. The second offering we give to you is the life situations we're in. And the third offering, Father, our finances, these are things you have first given us. We pray that you would make, that you would, that you would make use of these gifts. And so as we prepare to come forward to give our offering, Lord, we thank you that you will use what we give for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.